Dear God, reckless love. That's why we're here. You took a, you took a risk, and we are grateful. We celebrate life. It happens to everybody. But at this moment, as we center down our minds now, how to become an influencer, set us up for what we've got to hear, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's roll that clip. As I neared Damascus on my journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around me. I fell to the ground and heard a voice say to me, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? I asked. I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting, he replied to me. Now get up and go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. I got up from the ground, but when I opened my eyes, I could see nothing. So they led me by the hand into Damascus. Earlier this this year, a young millennial social critic, writer, and influencer herself wrote a piece, an op-ed piece in the New York Times. And by the way, if the New York Times ever asks you to write an op-ed piece, trust me, you're already an influencer. Her name is Lee Stein. Have the piece right here, title of the piece, The Empty Religions of Instagram. Let me read a line or two to you. On Instagram, I follow 700 people, mostly women, she writes. 100 of these women follow Glennon Doyle, whose memoir, Untamed, has been on the New York Times bestseller list. I checked it this week, 77 weeks in a row. Another influencer. Fans of Miss Doyle's gospel. An accessible combination of self-care, activism, and tongue-in-cheek Christianity. Ms. Doyle says, Jesus loves me, this I know, for he gave me Lexapro, which is an antidepressant. Fans of Ms. Doyle's gospel can worship at any time of day or night at the electric church of her Instagram feed. By replacing the rigid dogma of religion with the confessional lingua franca, or the language of social media, Ms. Doyle has become a charismatic preacher for women like me who aren't even religious. Now she's got my attention, and I want these words to get your attention, so I'm going to put them on the screen now. Many millennials have found a different kind of clergy, personal growth influencers. Hmm. Women like Ms. Doyle, who offer nuns, that's the, those are the people that take surveys and they say, none of the above, no religion. Women like Ms. Doyle, who offer nuns like us permission, validation, and community. These women are instavangelists. You've heard of televangelists? Well, she's coined a new word, instavangelists. These are personal influencers behaving like clergy in the world of social media. Then Lee, Lee Stein begins to expose some of her soul. Follow, follow along here. I have hardly prayed to God since I was a teenager. 
But the pandemic has cracked open inside me a profound yearning for reverence, humility, and awe. I looked at that and said, wait a minute, wait a minute. Are we talking about a young godless woman who says, I have no religion at all, but the pandemic has opened up inside of me this yearning for reverence, humility, and awe? I don't know about you, but I find that astonishing. Here is a non-religious young woman who has a yearning for reverence. I'm thinking about some of the practitioners in the church who believe that the more we can imitate the culture and the music of, a, of this very world that Lee Stein finds so empty, the more we will attract the Lee Steins of this culture. Turns out it's, it's the exact opposite. They don't want what they already have. She's looking for, she's looking for reverence, humility, and awe. You know what? Maybe we ought to quit apologizing for Pioneer being a place of worship with reverence, humility, and awe. Come on. Lee Stein exposes more of her thirsty soul. Here we go. The influencers we've chosen as our moral leaders aren't challenging us to ask the fundamental questions that leaders of faith have been wrestling with for thousands of years. Yo, Lee, what are those questions? Well, let's find out. Why are we here? Why do we suffer? What should we believe in beyond the limits of our puny selfhood? And then she writes this line. The whole economy of Instagram is based on our thinking about ourselves, posting about ourselves, working on ourselves. Instead of answering the big questions of life, these influencers, all they can talk about is me, 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 me. She says, forget it. And then now, now she moves to where you and I need to be listening very carefully. I told my mother that I find myself craving role models my age. Now, stop it right there. I want role models my age. I don't need somebody not my age. I need somebody my age. Yeah, but what do you want the role model to do? Well, let's find out. I, want to f- I find myself craving role models my age who are not only righteous. I'm saying, wait a minute, time out. You can't be telling me that this godless millennial, as she describes herself, no religion at all, you can't be telling me that she wants role models her age who are not only righteous, not only righteous crusaders, but keep reading, but also humble and merciful. And I told mom that I'm not finding them where I live. And those, that, that's her word, online. They're just not there. And I'm thinking to myself, what she just said she is longing for at her age level, a role model, turns out to be a beautiful description of who you are at Andrews University. Her age, righteous, crusading for good, humble and merciful. You are the role model she's looking for. You're the influencer she needs. She's looking for you, but here's the question. Are you looking for her? Hmm? We didn't know this. We didn't know that there's a yearning thirst embedded in the heart of this generation, sick and tired of what it's been living with. 
And you're the role model, her age, she's looking for? My. Oh, my. One, one last line. There is a chasm between the vast scope of our needs and what influencers can provide. We're looking for guidance in the wrong places, people. Listen up. Maybe we actually need to go to something like church. You think? Amazing. A New York Times chosen influencer who says, I'm tired of the life that I've had. If I just had somebody my age that I could model my life after. And I'm thinking, that has to be you. Reverence, humility, awe, flowing through a righteous, humble, and merciful influencer. Ah, how to become an influencer. Ah, we got to go back. We got, we, we've got to turn to another story today. Once upon a time, there were two young men. They were both about the same age. They were both extremely well-educated. You can call them young Turks if you wish. But what is more than clear is that both of them were influencers, huge influencers on the people around them. And then came that fateful public debate. The room was packed. The spectators eventually forgot to breathe. So transfixed are they all by the wit matching wit, the eloquence matching eloquence of these two young leaders who debate each other. By the end of the debate, however, it is clear to everybody in the room, everybody in the room, one of them just got whooped. It's a story most people skip over. But you need to find it right now. Open your Bible to Acts chapter 6, the book of beginnings for the infant Christian church. Acts chapter 6, drop down to verse 8. You haven't read this in a long, long time. Acts chapter 6. Please drop down to verse 8. I'll be in the New International, New International Version. Acts chapter 8, chapter 6, rather, verse, verse 8. Now, Stephen... Influencer number one. Now Stephen, a man full of God's grace and power, performed great wonders and signs among the people. Whatever's going on here, this young man, through these acts of supernatural signs, supernatural wonder, is simply confirming the veracity people are concluding, of his message. And that is, you know this Jesus of Nazareth, Nazareth that they crucified at Golgotha? Let me tell you something. He rose three days later. He was here for a while. He ascended, and he's now sitting on the throne of the Almighty. He's the Messiah. And people are starting to believe. I mean, how could you do what you just did if you weren't telling the truth? Look at verse 9. Opposition arose. Well, you didn't think he'd get by for long. Opposition arose, however, from members of the synagogue of the freedmen. Now, we're, the, we're, we're called Pioneer Church. So this is a synagogue called the synagogue of the, of the freedmen. It's just a name, as it was called. 
Who's in that synagogue? Well, you've got Jews of Cyrene. That would be North Africa. You have Jews from Alexandria. That would be Egypt, of course, as well as the provinces of Asia Minor, including Cilicia. Cilicia. Hey, wait a minute. Time out, time out. Cilicia. Is it, isn't Cilicia the one that has this major metropolitan center in it called Tarsus? 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 Wait a minute. I know somebody who's from Tarsus. Dr. Luke has intentionally embedded in this description the hint of influencer number two, Saul of Tarsus. F.F. Bruce and others have, have suggested it's, no, it's, it's rather likely that this was the synagogue in which Saul worshipped. Opposition? Are you kidding? They began to argue with Stephen right off the bat. How'd it go? But they could not stand up against the wisdom the Spirit gave him as he spoke. If you ever get called on by Almighty God himself to stand up in front of a classroom of of kids, your peers. You ever get called on by Almighty God to step in front of a neighbor because something's on your heart that you want to share? Anytime you're put on the line, I hope you'll remember that the same Holy Spirit who came into this young Turk influencer, who came into him at a critical moment, is is the same Spirit who'll come into you at that vital moment doesn't have to be your last day on earth as it is for Stephen. He doesn't know it's his last day. But I suppose he's already beginning to read the handwriting on the wall. Wow. There he is. Influencer number one. There he is, influencer number two. And by the way, the debate was gentlemanly. Come on, they're not throwing stuff. But it was fierce. Because you have two young influencers, Stephen and Saul, both fluent in Aramaic, the language of Jerusalem, both fluent in Greek, the language of the synagogue for Hellenist Jews, devoted, both of them, educated believers to the max, knowing the Holy Scriptures would be the Old Testament, backwards and forwards. They're quoting back and forth, back and forth, but yes, but yes, but yes, but yes. What a debate that must have been. Stephen crying out, he is the Messiah. Paul shouting back, he is an imposter, this Jesus of Nazareth. But the young Saul of Tarsus, as we just read, and his cohorts could not outlogic. They could not outsmart, outquote, or outgun young Stephen, the champion of Jesus the Messiah. Everybody knows who had the most convincing case. Well, Young Saul knows, influencer number two, you may lose a battle now and then, but you still win the war. And so Saul says, this is war. And then he arranges for a few false witnesses who step forward just like they did to our Lord. The witnesses make their case. Immediately, that day, the Sanhedrin, the Supreme Court of Jerusalem and and Judaism is convened. The chambers are packed. The young influencer, Stephen, will be on trial as he now surmises for his life. The last verse of Acts chapter 6, all who were sitting in the Sanhedrin looked intently at Stephen, and they saw that his face was like the face of an angel. 
Stephen's face must have looked like Moses coming down from Mount Sinai. Moses comes down from that mountain having been in the presence of, of God himself, and his face is aglow, and the people look at him, and they shield their eyes. Put something over your face. We can't stand to see the light. A little classic on the life of Paul, if you could ever get it, add it to your library. Sketches on the life of Paul, often forgotten. One line from that classic, many who beheld the lighted countenance of Stephen trembled and veiled their faces. Now, this little factoid tucked away at the beginning of this trial, obviously some eyewitness observed his face looking like an angel. And I'm wondering who that eyewitness might have been who would later report to Dr. Luke, here's what I saw. Hmm. Keep going. We're going to skip the entire defense. And by the way, this afternoon, a wonderful Sabbath afternoon activity, you read Stephen's defense. It is brilliant. This is what outwitted Saul of Tarsus, this defense. And he brings it before he dies. Yeah, read chapter 7. We'll pick it up at the end of his defense, though. When the members of the Sanhedrin heard Stephen's defense, they were furious and gnashed their teeth at him. But Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, look at that. No wonder his face is glowing. He looked up to heaven, and he saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Look, he said, I see heaven open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. The only human being in the New Testament who uses the name Son of Man is Jesus himself. This is the last use of that phrase in the Bible. And it's on the lips of a proto-martyr, the first martyr. I see him. He, Jesus of Nazareth, standing, standing. Standing? Well, you didn't think Jesus would sit through what is about to transpire, did you? Of course he's not sitting. He's standing for two reasons. He's standing, number one, because this man who will become the first human being who believes in Jesus of Nazareth to be executed for that belief is about to perish, and Jesus stands. I'm not sitting through this, but he stands for a second reason, because it's clear Nobody else is standing for Stephen. But Jesus is standing. And he's saying, hey, boy, I am standing for you right now. And by the way, when you come to your moment and it'll feel like nobody in the classroom, nobody's agreeing, nobody in the dormitory, nobody in your circle of friends, nobody with your associates that you work with, nobody understands why you believe what you believe. When it feels like you are standing alone, good news, there'll be somebody who stands up in heaven and says, girl, I'm standing with you right now. I'm standing with you. I see the Son of Man, and he's standing. The record goes on. At this, they covered their ears, and yelling at the top of their voices, they all rushed at Stephen. They dragged him out of the city, and they began to stone him. Meanwhile, the witnesses laid their coats at the feet of a young man named Saul. 
Influencer number two who's pulled off this execution behind the scenes. Who will never for the rest of his life be able to efface the memory of this tragic hour in which he was so heinously the instigator. He will never forget till he dies that Stephen died at his feet. Watched it all. And then relayed the eyewitness account. What's the account? While they were stoning him, And Saul is watching. Stephen prayed the prayer of Jesus on the cross. Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And then he fell on his knees and he cried out, Lord, do not hold this sin against him. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. He died. And Saul approved of their killing him. And on that day, a great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem, and all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. Godly men buried Stephen and mourned deeply for him. But Saul began to destroy the church, going from house to house. He dragged off both men and women and put them in prison. What can you do to steal a guilty conscience? Some people today self-medicate. They take more and more of that substance to to mask the guilt that is killing them. And so self-medication numbs them for a while. The only self-medication young Saul has is to kill him. Just keep killing him until nobody of this sect is left alive. Years later, Paul, the young Saul, is on trial for his own life. He's standing before the great King Agrippa of Judea. The king and his wife Bernice have come to hear this prisoner tell the story. And so Paul tells the story. And we'll go over to Acts 26 to pick it up right in the middle of his testimony to the king. I, too, was convinced, by the way, that I ought to do all that was possible to oppose the name of Jesus of Nazareth. And that is just what I did in Jerusalem. On the authority of the chief priests, I put many of the Lord's people in prison. And when they were put to death, I cast my vote against him. Kill him. Kill her. Many a time I went from one synagogue to another to have them punished, and I tried to force them to blaspheme. I was so obsessed with persecuting them that I even hunted them down in foreign cities. Oh, I wish I had a YouTube now. I wish I had that YouTube screen in front of me now that captures the moment when Paul and his band of enforcers, after days and nights of traversing the barren wilderness north of Jerusalem, finally that last sandy bluff and looking across the valley is the skyline of the ancient city of Damascus. Palm trees waving in the breeze, gardens and orchards, streams and beauty. And if the YouTube camera would zoom in just a little closer to the countenance of influencer number two, 
I have a feeling there was a smug look of satisfaction on his grinning face because in his hip pocket, he has the handwritten authority of the high priest of Jerusalem to go house to house if necessary, synagogue to synagogue, and destroy any disciples of this dead Jesus of Nazareth. It doesn't get any better than this if you're an influencer. He tells himself, When suddenly, because I'm still watching the YouTube screen, suddenly that road that dips down into the oldest contiguously inhabited city on earth, it's still inhabited, by the way. It's the oldest city on earth with people in it since the beginning. As the road drops down to the gates of Damascus, suddenly, amazingly, strangely, there's, there, there is this white, like, like why, 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 did you, why, did you, why did you flash to white? Is there something wrong with the iris of the camera? Why is this thing turned white? It looks like white is just spilling. Light is spilling. And suddenly all the, all the participants in the story are gone. They've just disappeared. And we instinctively begin to squint because it hurts our eyes. It spills off of the YouTube screen. And we, we close our senses to this. To a man, Saul and his companions, boom, they hit the ground. Incoming fire, poof, thunder, darkness. And then Saul hears, Saul, Saul. Before the king. Saul continues his story. About noon, King Agrippa, as I was on the road, I saw a light from heaven, brighter than the sun, blazing around me and my companions. We all fell to the ground, and I heard a voice saying to me in Aramaic, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? It is hard for you to kick against the goats. Goats, that's a stick with a, with a metal sharp point to it that you use on an oxen. Come on, come on, come on. You're kicking. Why? To his dying day, Saul of Tarsus will testify that Jesus of Nazareth, the hated imposter that he has fanatically sought to expunge from human consciousness, Jesus of Nazareth, the glorified Christ, the one who was crucified, buried, rose again, and ascended to the throne of eternity, that same Jesus appeared to him personally. He saw Jesus of Nazareth, and he heard the voice of the crucified one, Saul, Saul. N.T. Wright, in his marvelous book, Paul, A Biography, describes a moment this way. Everything was now focused on the figure from whom there streamed a blinding light, the figure who now addressed Saul as a master addresses a slave. The figure he recognized as the crucified Jesus of Nazareth. Heaven and earth came together in this figure, and he was commanding Saul to acknowledge this fact and reorient his entire life accordingly. Saul knows 
who this is. As only the eternal can do, in one second, a lifetime can go by. And in that lifetime of the one second, Saul reviews all the evidence of the Old Testament and evidence he had memorized, but connecting the dots he had never done. And he realizes. Ellen White, like N.T. Wright, believes the same reality. Sketches from the life of Paul. Saul lying prostrate upon the ground understood the words that were spoken and saw clearly before him the Son of God. One look upon that glorious being imprinted his image forever upon the soul of the stricken Jew. Keep reading. No doubt entered the mind of Saul that this was Jesus of Nazareth who spoke to him and that he was indeed the long-looked-for Messiah, the consolation and redeemer of Israel. And so Saul tells Agrippa the king, Then I asked, Who are you, Lord? I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. The Lord replied. What follows now are three days and three nights of no light, no food, no water, nobody but Saul alone with his guilty conscience and a hidden divine presence in the darkness. Hey, come on, think about it for a moment. You think about it. If you knew that you sent an innocent man to his violent death in the stoning of Stephen, knowing now that Stephen was telling the gospel truth about this Jesus you have just met, how could you possibly sleep? Huh? If you knew that you drag men and women and children to their deaths for their faith in this same Jesus that you have just met. How could you possibly eat or drink? You cannot do anything. Nothing. But pray. Three days and three nights. Such is the nature of a guilty conscience. And there's only one cure for a guilty conscience. And we all know the cure. You have to be forgiven. And until you are, you are tormented to death. But Jesus is not going to come to Saul. Nope. I already came. Jesus will send the church instead. The church can handle this. They're my body. The head doesn't have to be there. So he turns to the church in Damascus, and he picks a church member. He says, you're going to be my man. Watch this. This is in the actual historical account now that Luke gives in Acts chapter 9. In Damascus, there was a disciple named Ananias. And the Lord called to him in a vision. Ananias, yes, Lord, he recognizes the voice of his master. Yes, Lord, he answered. The Lord told him, now, look, I need you to go to the house of Judas on Straight Street, which, by the way, still exists today in Damascus, all right? 
I need you to go to the house of a man named Judas. He lives on Straight Street, and I want you to ask for a man from Tarsus who, whose name is Saul, for he is praying. In a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him to restore his sight. Talking about an oblique invitation. He won't come out and say, you do it. No, he just says, this guy has had a vision of you coming and putting your hands on him. Excuse me, time out, Lord. Are you talking about Ananias, me, or how about the Ananias down the street? Which Ananias are you really talking about? Me? Okay. But look at Saul. Saul, there, there are all kinds of Sauls. You're not talking about the Saul of Tarsus who is dying to put his hands on me. Are you? I am. Go. Jesus doesn't show up again to Saul. Doesn't have to. He's got the church. That's why we come to church. Because Jesus doesn't show up like the Damascus Road. But we keep hearing about Jesus. And he keeps showing up in our minds and in our hearts. That's why we just keep coming week after week after week. I'm sending the church. You go. And Ananias says, listen. Rather, the Lord says to Ananias, now come on, come on. Go. This man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and to the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. You go. And guess what? Ananias goes. His heart is up here. He finds the address. He opens the door. There is a blind man sitting on some stool. And he walks in with the most beautiful word that Saul could ever have heard. He walks in. He places his hands on Saul. And he says, Brother Saul. Isn't that beautiful? Brother Saul, I know who you are, but you're my brother. Brother Saul, it's okay. You're with friends now. Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here, he has sent me confirmation. Whom you saw is who spoke to me. It wasn't a dream. The Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here, has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately, something like scales, the New American Standard Bible's 2020 edition that just came out this spring, adds a word, something like fish scales. I've always wondered, what are these scales? When you put fish in front of it, I understand now. Everybody has seen a fish that gets skinned. It's just this crusty stuff. Something like fish scales trickled down from Saul's eyes across his cheeks. And guess what? He could see again. He got up and he was baptized. And after taking some food, he regained his strength. Wow. Forgiven. And by the way, with a rap sheet, I don't know how long that rap sheet on Saul was. It was a long one. Charged, 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 charged. Forgiven of all those bloody sins. Forgiven. Do you understand? Gone. Gone. Years later, Saul turned Paul would write a line that I hope I will never forget as long as I live. No, no, I'm going to share it with you right now. It's a beautiful line. Don't you ever forget it either, please. 
First Timothy chapter one, verse 15. Here is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Here comes a sentence. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the worst. I want, to, I want you to repeat it out loud with me. Come on. You're old enough. You can do this. Out loud. Let's read it together. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the worst. This isn't play acting. This is not putting on some kind of mellow drama so that God is convinced I'm re I really am a bad, bad guy, God. No, 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 no. Because in the secret of your conscience, you know you are about the worst dude who has ever sinned. You know that. And your conscience reminds you of it. Paul isn't just playing around. He never forgot the face of Stephen that he ordered, executed. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the worst. And so are you. That's the gospel. Saul will spend the rest of his life teaching this sentence wherever he goes. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the worst. Eternal good news. So what's all this have to do with Lee Stein and insta-evangelists and influencers and, and Saul and you and me? What's it have to do? It's the second secret to how to become an influencer. And here comes secret number two. Don't ever forget the truth. To become an influencer, you must follow the capital I, influencer. That's the only way you will make a lasting impact on human society. You can make an impact. We see people in the news every night that have made huge impacts, and we're sick and tired of seeing them. You can make an eternal impact. You want to be that kind of an influencer? Sure you do. Me too. The only way to become an influencer, you must follow the capital I, influencer. Three days and three nights of soul searching, that's a lot of time. <laughs> Sometimes that's how long it takes, however. When I was a kid here at Andrews University and a student on this campus, I was wrestling with guilt so bad I thought I was going to lose my mind. It took several months for me. I don't know how long it will take for you. We all have guilt that has to be absolved and forgiven. But if you're serious and you submit yourself to the capital I influencer, Jesus Christ, who came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the worst, that Jesus, he will take care of that guilt just like that. Try it. I want you to find this Jesus. I want you to hook your destiny to the capital I influencer star and stay with him until you die. There's no other way. It was Jesus who saved Saul. Let's not, let's not get confused here. The church saved Saul. No, he just used the church. He just used Ananias. It's Jesus who saved Saul. And it's Jesus who will save you. It's Jesus, the divine influencer, that is the answer to the deepest longing you have in your heart and soul right now.
Jesus. And because he saved Saul, you think about this now. Look at all the other people who got saved. You remember Augustine? Some are now calling him Augustine. Augustine, the church father, he's a young man. He is overwhelmed with personal guilt. One day he's in, a, he's in his back garden. He's weeping before God. Take this guilt away. And he hears a child's voice. He doesn't know if it's, if it's, if it's a boy or a girl, but I'll put his words on here from his great confession. I interpreted that voice solely as a divine command. Do you know what the voice was saying in Latin? Tole lege. Tole lege. Tole lege. It's like, is this a kid's game? No. I determined. It is a divine command that came to me to open the book that was near him and read the first chapter I find. He opens that book that is near him, and the first chapter is Romans 13. And in Romans 13, he gets saved. An unlikely place, by the way, to find salvation. But it worked for Augustine. All because of the Damascus Road and a man who met Jesus of Nazareth there. Augustine met the same Jesus. Oh, I think of the, the uh, come on, everybody loves Martin Luther. Hundreds of years later, affected by Augustine, but Luther, a, a monk, his tonsure shaven. He's in a monastery library, chained to the wall as a Bible, and he opens that Bible and he discovers the book of Romans. Martin Luther, who would later write, Thereupon I felt myself to be reborn and to have gone through open doors into paradise. The whole of Scripture took on a new meaning for me. Because of a man on the Damascus Road who met Jesus of Nazareth, Martin Luther met him too. Every influencer keeps influencing and influencing and influencing. How about John Wesley, the young man? John Wesley, tortured with guilt. Why is it that guilt is what most effectively takes us to the Savior? Because it creates something. It creates an experience we cannot absolve ourselves. You cannot rid yourself of guilt. You can, as we said, medicate yourself, but that lasts a few hours, and then it's back to the same guilt. You have to find someone who can wash you clean and set you free of that guilt. John Wesley stumbles into a little prayer group in an upper room in the city of London. And as it turns out, they are reading together Luther's preface to the book of Romans. And as they read the preface, John Wesley would later testify, I felt my heart was strangely warmed. I felt I did trust in Christ, Christ alone for salvation. Because of the man, the man on the Damascus Road who met Jesus of Nazareth personally, Wesley himself met Jesus personally. And thousands have been influenced by that man as well. It just keeps going, which is why God needs you to be an influencer for him. I'm telling you the gospel truth here in closing. He needs you to be an influencer. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I'm the worst. So you got a little something you got to deal with? With Jesus, that's no problem. That's what we do. You just take this verse to him. You take this verse to him, and you remind him, you came into the world to save sinners, and I'm the worst. I need you to forgive me. I don't have to feel forgiven. I need to know I'm forgiven. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. I need to know that that's true. It's true. It is true, boy. Girl, listen to me. It's true. Are you asking to be forgiven? I'm pro- I, I just gave you forgiveness. You don't feel it. You believe it. Augustine, Luther, Wesley, and you. 
So, I can't think of a better way to begin this new year at Andrews University than to invite you to give your heart. If you've never given your, if you've never given your heart to Jesus, you've never thrown open the door of your life, your mind, your mind. You've never thrown it open. Said Jesus, I need you to come in. Just, I'm a mess, but I'm the worst. And you can't. You said you came for the worst. Well, you found me. I'm inviting you in. Wash me, cleanse me. He will. You have to ask him. And what Paul did, you do. As soon as you get that, you get baptized. Come on, don't don't pussyfoot around now. You don't wait. You get baptized. You accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior. Then you go under the water and bury that past. When Paul came up, the memory was still there, but the tortured guilt was forever gone, and he became the great champion of the gospel that Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the worst. I'm the worst. That's the gospel. And by the way, the blinded Saul, I just remind you this before I sit down. He cries out on the Damascus road. He can't see a blooming thing. It's it's darkness. But he cries out, Lord, what would you have me to do? And instantly comes back the answer from the Lord Jesus. I want you to become an influencer for me, just like Stephen. And Saul took the place of Stephen in the galaxy of the early church. God needs you to take somebody else's place. God needs you to be the influencer. I want to give you a chance to say, yep, I want to be that influencer. Put this on the screen for you. Text the word Paul 1. So you got no space between it, just Paul 1 to 269-281-2345. You'll do that right now. Don't look at me. Look at your smart device. Text, text to uh, 281-2345 the word Paul 1. This is chapter 1 in the series. And you hit send, it'll reply to you. You watch. Kind of fun to do. But you do it because it's going to take you to the connect card. Now, you're going to get to a connect card. It's a little bit tricky. But when it says drop-down menu... For my next steps, you touch that. Bingo. They'll be there. Here they are. Step number one. Like Saul, I want to accept Jesus as my Lord and Savior. Listen, if you have never accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior, just put a check, put, put a, put a, you, you click onto it it's electronically and it will just suddenly identify that as your choice. You can do all four if you want it. Electronically, we'll be back in touch with you and give you material to begin a life where Jesus is your Lord and Savior. It's not as complicated as people have tried to tell you. Don't believe them. Do not believe them. Box number two, like Saul, I want to be baptized into Christ my Savior. You haven't been baptized yet. You accepted Jesus, sure, but you just haven't been baptized. Come on, what are you waiting for? Don't put it off. What a, what a way to begin a new year. Go under the water. Go under the water with Jesus. Next box. Like Saul, I want to learn how to be an influencer for Jesus. Yeah, me too. Just hang in there with this series. By the time we're through, God willing. And finally, I look forward to learning from Paul's mental health meltdown next week. There aren't a lot of scholars that have seen this. N.T. Wright has, and I'm going to go out on a limb and tell you that Paul went through a nervous breakdown. And we're going to look at the evidence next week. This is a generation that's big on mental health, and rightfully so. It's a mess with this pandemic. Some of you are struggling with depression right now. You don't know how to deal, cope with your life. Come next week. 
We'll talk about that. There will be a solution. And then you go down to the bottom and send it. And it'll go. Dear God, Jesus of Nazareth, Holy Spirit, all three of you were at work in the story that unfolded before our eyes. All three of you are at work in the story of our lives right now. Dear God, do whatever it takes. You see that check mark? You see that selection of the next step? Honor that. It's just an electronic signal, but honor the decision and leave us never the same again. There's some young men and women here who are eager to begin a new, a new chapter in their life. Let this be the day. Let the Jesus of Nazareth or the Damascus Road come to them quietly through his spirit. And may we never be the same again. Make us all influencers for you, for your glory. We love you, Father. We love you back with all our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen.